You're listening to the Nightlight Radio Network. This is Dr. Zohara Hieronymus, co-host of 21st Century Radio. We are happy to present this rebroadcast of our show on Nightlight. Enjoy. Welcome to 21st Century Radio. I'm Dr. Zohara Hieronymus. Laura Cortner is our executive producer and Anita Brockington, our engineer. The ageless wisdom teachings have always maintained that light is the medium utilized by universal and personal mind to manifest form. With the development of scientific tools, the language of quantum physics, we now have the ability to show just how it is that from the realm of thought to the realm of manifestation, we do indeed create not just the world around us, but the world within us too. Join us for a fascinating hour conversation with Dr. Dawson Church for a discussion about his book, How Mind Makes Matter, The Astonishing Science of How Your Brain Creates Material Reality, a Hay House 2019 release. It is my opinion that this book pushes the envelope over the edge of the scientific table and delights the mystical community who have always understood the power of human thought and actions as the tools of being co-creators. We are indeed made in the divine creator's image with the same apparatus meant to help us solve the earth's challenges, create a bright world for future generations, and to enable lives that are full of good and health and plenty. Thank you so much for joining us, Dawson. So, so good to be here. Thanks for having me. It's a beautiful book. There is nothing else like this in the world, and I have read many and interviewed many. Why don't we start first with, you founded the National Institute for Integrative Health. You also co-wrote a book with Norman Sheely. Give us a little bit of background to your own work in the Institute over the years, and then we'll get into the very particulars of this beautiful book. I'd be happy to. And yeah, the Institute is focused on a couple of different things. One is research and there are others helping people in need. And our biggest social project is called the Veterans Stress Project. And over the last 12 years, we've actually offered free treatment to over 20,000 veterans. But we've also done seven randomized controlled trials of PTSD. And we find that veterans clear all those symptoms like flashbacks, nightmares, intrusive thoughts, hypervigilance. They clear those in an average of six one-hour sessions. So the the big good news that we we bring through the the nonprofit is that PTSD is curable in about nine out of ten cases. Research shows this, and we we offer those sessions free. So that's really the my my mission is bringing these energy therapies as evidence-based treatments into the mainstream, because when you can cure most cases of PTSD, depression, anxiety, phobias, things like that, so quickly and easily, these are, it's just a whole new world in terms of both, both psychological well-being, mental health, and also medical health. So I'm just on fire and just love talking about this and sharing about this and seeing it spreading now into the VA and to various hospital systems. And I know it's just a huge, big shift not only in human consciousness, but in our ability to really lift the burden of disease that, that's, that's, that's really limited human potential for many years. Definitely. And what you have accomplished in this book is, you know, there are a lot of really brilliant researchers and wonderful healers, but there aren't that many weavers. And you're really a beautiful weaver of synthesizing so many 
traditions of practice as well as research. So why don't we start with a bit about science and its language? Because as I mentioned in the introduction, it's really because of your work and work like yours, there's this language of mysticism that now through the lens of quantum physics has become a beautiful marriage. Yeah, I appreciate using the word weaving there, Zoe, because uh, weaving is really important. And people, when they hear stories about science, say they're listening to the radio, listening to your station, and they'll hear this science story or this story about cancer, this story about brain waves, this story about hormones, they don't have the ability to connect them all. And so in my books, what I try and do is several different things. One is to make the science understandable. And my, <clears throat> my criterion is I have to be able to go across the street and talk to my next-door neighbor, <clears throat> and if I cannot clearly explain it to him, then I haven't done a good enough job as a science writer. So I want to make sure that all of these really difficult concepts, like things like the double-slit experiment, that, uh, well, quantum entanglement, or um, epigenetics, I want to make sure these things are really clearly understandable to people. But then beyond the science, what I found is that we need stories. I mailed out my book, The Genie in Your Genes, to about 17 different people when it was first written, mailed manuscript out and said, I'd love to get your peer review. I want to get uh, your, your opinion about the book. Is it scientifically correct? What do you think of the book? And I got 16 out of 17 rave reviews from other scientists saying, this book's genius, this book's brilliant, this book's showing how our genes affect our bodies in a whole new way. And I got one bad review. <laughs> <laughs> Which may have been the most helpful. Teacher, friend of mine. <laughs> she hated the book. She said, Dawson, this book's full of stories, and there are no people in the book. And so I actually re rewrote the whole book to make her happy and, and put stories of people in there, because the people, though, are like this one, one friend of mine recently who was diagnosed with, with metastasized breast cancer, and she has a book coming out about her experiences. And so they, they discovered this huge uh, tumor on her right breast, and it's, it was five centimeters across, two inches across, and they also discovered that all of the lymph nodes under her right armpit were full of cancer cells and that three spots that appeared on her right lung. So metastasized breast cancer, a terrible diagnosis. And so there she was faced in the doctor's office with this, this grim news. In fact, her oncologist said, Beth, we want you not to just make an appointment with, with radiation. We want you to go to radiology right now from my office for your first treatment. And Beth said, I need to see what I can do myself, and I need to talk to my husband, talk to my community. She did. She called bunches, bunches of people. She called me. She called Mark Hyman, called all these friends of hers, and she wound up saying to herself, you know, I'm going to see what my energy can do. And so she focused on using qigong, using energy healing. She cleaned up her diet. She turned off her alerts. She quit volunteering for a lot of organizations that were stressing her out. She just focused on the energy changes she could make. And so she got that diagnosis in March of 2017. She, got, she went back to the hospital eight weeks later in May of the same year, and the tumor had shrunk from five centimeters to 1.4 centimeters. All the lymph nodes under her right arm were cancer-free, and then the tumor later that year went away completely, and blood tests showed she was cancer-free only using her consciousness, only using energy. And so that's what I, I put in my book, stories like those of Beth, yeah. which you, you want to know the science. You want to know what you're using, the treatment you're using is evidence-based, that there's solid research behind it. But you also want those stories. And so in my books, I both give you really rigorous science and also fabulous, amazing stories of people like Beth who just beyond all the odds were able to heal themselves using these new evidence-based and energy therapies.
And and your own personal stories. I mean, I love the story about keys in the ocean. The, your entire <laughs> your your way of like integrating this demonstration of mind creating matter, and that we can entrain ourselves to sort of the harmonic whole and accomplish anything. Share that story. Well, I begin the the book with this because I was a skeptic originally. I didn't really believe in a lot of this stuff, uh-huh. and I heard these these metaphysicians saying. Our thoughts create our reality, and I would say, I would think, oh, geez, really, that's not scientific. But then I began <laughs> to do, I did a series of radio, radio shows on my own radio program with people, with scientists who gave me pieces of the puzzle, and I began to trace them step by step by step, piece by piece by piece, and I began to find all these links between thought and thing, and how our thoughts actually do create our reality. And that, that story that begins Mind to Matter is one of the ones that turned me from a skeptic into a believer, right. because... Um, I was trying to finish a book. I had a really tight deadline to finish this book for a publisher. And I went away to Hawaii and just spent time in a little condo, really focused on the book. But every day I would go out and take a break and get in a Jeep I rented with all my snorkeling gear in the back. And I'd go snorkeling for an hour or so. So the one day I'd gotten back from my snorkeling trip. I was dripping wet, walking back from the beach, and ready to just throw my snorkeling gear in the back of the Jeep, drive back to the condo. And I put my hand into my pocket to get the keys to unlock the Jeep, and my pocket was empty. And I looked out over about this five-acre bay I'd been swimming in, diving down to the coral heads about 10 to 12 feet deep, and I realized that somewhere in those five acres, down on the bottom, 10 feet or so below, were two tiny keys. And so I I just decided, you know, I'm not going to panic. I'm going to stay in my heart. I'm going to hold the intention of getting those keys back. Now, it looked impossible. I actually swam around for about an hour looking for them. I realized it was completely impossible with all the coral heads and all the marine life down there to find them. But my intuition just said, just do this. And then after an hour, I, I realized nothing was going to happen. So I began to swim back. But three young men and their father, teenage boys and their father, had just got into the water a few minutes before and were diving. And so I swam up to them. My intuition said, gave me a little nudge and said, just go up and, t- and talk to them. And I swam up to them and said, I've seen you guys diving to the bottom. Did any of you find anything down there? And the youngest boy, about 13 years old, held up my keys. And I've had uncanny experiences like that over and over and over again. It's like the universe is smacking on the side of the head saying, <laughs> you get it now? You see now we're in a benevolent universe. There's all this wonderful synchronistic stuff going on there. And so that's how the book begins. But, but then at the start of the book and the end of the book, so I talk about non-local mind, how right. we can let go of our fixation with thinking we're who we are, thinking we're our name and our job and our kids and our marriage and our location and our house, and just the act of letting go and merging with the universe, non-local mind, and that aligns you with synchronicity the same way that the birds align and the trees align and the flowers align and the earth aligns. So this whole act of letting go of your local reality and merging with non-local reality gives you a perspective on life that is totally different and wonderful. So I begin and end the book with that, and then the middle of it is just packed with science in just study after study after study, over 400 of them, showing that with our thoughts, our intentions, our beliefs, we are, in an absolutely literal way, creating the world around us. 
One of the things I thought so useful, I mean, there's so many things useful about what you've accomplished, but the, the disciplines of mindfulness and then the mapping of minds demonstrates this reality that you've just spoken to, that through concentrated thought, through having an intention, and then paying attention, we have the capacity to receive from universe what it is we need or looking for or want to give to someone else. We do. And when we tune in in that way, we find that we act synchronously. Uh, Near the end of the book, I have remarkable studies showing that when we align with non-local mind in that way, we actually come into alignment with big global cycles. And in Chapter 7, I have a really stunning image from a scientific study, and it plots solar activity over the course of 30 days. Now, solar activity is, again, this is, this is the size of our galaxy, the size of our solar system, driving the, the solar flares going back and forth. And, and, and geologists map the solar activity. They, they can see, see what's going on there. I then have overlaid on that a graph from somebody who is a meditator, who's in heart coherence, who's in tune with nature in this way. And the, the two graphs of their heart coherence over the course of that 30 days and solar activity are a match. Now, if you aren't in coherence, if you aren't in alignment, if you aren't in attunement with that non-local mind, you aren't a match, and you're bumping around, and you're having all kinds of difficult experiences. But if you're in flow, and athletes and executives and high performers talk about being in flow, when you're in flow, you're not just in flow yourself, not just your body is in the state of coherence and in flow. You're in flow with nature, you're in flow with the universe, you're in flow with everyone else who is in flow with the universe. And suddenly, um, you know, people say, isn't it hard to write books like this? And, you know, of course, science books are hard to write. But, like, I needed one piece of information for one chapter. And it turned out that I was a speaker at a conference in a really synchronistic way. And they seated me next to the only scientist in the world who had that piece of information. And he had it right there, and I didn't know he had it. And so synchronous, I mean, actually goosebumps as I talk about this, because I mean, these things happen just every day. There's some synchronous, synchronous thing like that happening. And when you're in the zone, when you're in that state of flow, these things happen, and your life gets much, much easier. So I have lots of examples and stories like that throughout the book, but I also have all the graphs, all the, all the, the research synopses that show you how this is science-based. You've done just a, a beautiful, beautiful job for the world. I am so deeply grateful. You know, I've interviewed the new paradigm, the who's who of the new paradigm for 35 years. And it's, it's a wondrous accomplishment. And I really hope that the world benefits by all of your good intention. If you're just joining us, Dr. Dawson Church is with us. His book, Mind to Matter, The Astonishing Science of How Your Brain creates material reality. It's a Hay House 2019 release. You can learn more at his websites, DawsonChurch.com, as well as www.MindToMatter.com. You're listening to 21st Century Radio with Dr. Zohara Hieronymus. I'm Dr. Mike Dow, New York Times bestselling author, and I've written a new book called Your Subconscious Brain Can Change Your Life, and several other books. In this book, you will learn a technique how to activate your subconscious, how to use hypnosis, cognitive behavioral therapy, and visualization to reach any goal, psychological or physical. And you can learn more about me and my work at drmikedow.com. Stay tuned. Welcome back to 21st Century Radio. Our guest is Dr. Dawson Church's newest book, Mind Matter, The Astonishing Science of How Your Brain Creates Material Reality. 
the Hay House release 2019. You can learn more at his websites, www.dawsonchurch.com, mindtomatter.com, and eftuniverse.com. So, Dawson, there are so many um, beautiful demonstrations of science and spirit in your work. And if you could take a moment, if you don't mind, to talk a bit about epigenetics, how the environment affects internal and external gene expression, meaning, as you shared earlier, we can affect our genes from inside of us, much as the world can affect them from outside of us, and what this means for the future of healing and healthcare. It's meaning for the future of healing and healthcare, though, is profound. And the examples I give at the start of Mind to Matter are to do mostly with inside your body and how your thoughts create molecules inside your body. And they create those molecules by turning genes on and off. In one of the studies of EFT or acupressure tapping that I, I quote there, which I was involved with, we found that one hour of treatment changed 72 genes including genes that code for things like breast cancer and prostate cancer and downregulate them, genes that code for things like metabolism, cell communication, skin repair, brain repair, memory and learning, all kinds of genes being regulated just by one hour of this energy treatment. And so uh, epigenetics is the, the whole study, the whole science of how genes are turned on or off from not just necessarily outside the cell, right outside the nucleus of the cell, often by us from outside the body. And uh, just a classic, easy example is that, say, for example, I, uh, on a Sunday afternoon, I'm walking through the park. It's a beautiful day. I'm really enjoying myself. I'm not stressed at all. And suddenly a pit bull breaks loose from its owner and runs at me, barking, big fangs, drooling. I'm terrified. What happens is that genes that code for stress hormones like adrenaline and cortisol those genes turn on immediately. And there are a class of genes called immediate early genes because they come to peak expression in under three seconds after a stimulus. So my body is turning this external signal of the barking dog into an internal, internal biochemical and neurological si- signal turning on those genes, and I'm in t- turn synthesizing those stress hormones within two seconds so I can run away and the fight-or-flight response turns on. And that's this complex chain by which external stimuli result in internal chemical changes, which result in drastic redistribution of the body's energy. And so now, suddenly, my, my heart's beating, my throat's uh, tense, my eyes, uh, my pupils are dilating, I'm running like crazy, my digestion shuts down. All of these changes happen in two seconds. So that's an example of epigenetics in, in response to an external stress or a real external threat. But what if it's now 7 o'clock at night, I've gone home, I'm having dinner with my family, and I've had a glass of wine, I'm nice and relaxed, but now I remember the dog and I tell the story of the dog to my family. Now suddenly my throat dries up, my heart starts pounding, my lungs start breathing shallowly, that same gene that it's actually called CYP17A, uh, that same gene that codes for cortisol and adrenaline turns on again, even though there's no dog. And so that's an example of epigenetics that is affected purely by consciousness. Mm-hmm. And so that's the field of study I'm really interested in, is how can we, through energy work, through our awareness, through our consciousness, through our behavior, through the practices we employ in our lives, literally 
turn genes on and off. And not just one or two genes. Often there are cascades of genes being turned on and off. And again, they're, they're often happening in response to diet or exercise or external stressors or relaxation, but they're also turned on simply by mind alone. And in Mind to Matter, I have scores of studies and all kinds of examples of how simply by changing our consciousness, we can literally change cancer genes, change learning and memory genes, change cell repair genes, change bone density genes, change muscle mass genes, change all of these genes in a beneficial direction purely using our minds and our consciousness. And, and this is just, I mean, as I, I read the book, like initially the publisher said that the, the subtitle would be The Surprising Science of How Our, thoughts, our, our Brains Create Our Reality. They changed it to The Astonishing Science because the science is just absolutely mind-boggling about the effect we have on our bodies, on our genome, epigenetically, through our minds. Well, and stunning is, is really the truth. And, but as you were speaking, I was thinking about the extraordinary impact of the unconscious mind when there has been trauma. Let's say a child has been abused. They grow up to be an adult, and then they have some kind of ailment that deals with adrenaline and cortisol spikes. And until that um, memory, I guess, and maybe you can describe to us because you talked about yes. how post-traumatic stress disorder, which so many people on our planet today suffer from, and fear is so contagious, as, as is happiness. Um, share with us a little bit about that, because our emotions, whether we're cognizant of them or whether they're remnant waves, I always think of them that the remnant waves under the surface, and something can trigger it, that we don't make the conscious connection. I mean, I've done a lot of interview work of alien abductees, and so many suffer from such long-lived trauma their whole lives, that something they hear in the news triggers something they don't remember, but the body still holds the memory in its cells. It does. It does, and those memories can be really long-lasting. There's a whole field of psychology called developmental trauma. And so an example of a simple trauma is a young lady in one of my live workshops, and she was in a car crash at the age of 32, and she had PTSD, but it was due to one event as an adult. That's simple trauma. Complex PTSD is another woman who was a therapist in one of my live classes, and she'd been sexually abused from the age of two through the age of 17. That's developmental trauma. That's when the brain is firing and wiring the emotional part of the brain, which is firing and wiring the most at the age of zero, one, two years old. That part of the brain is firing and wiring when the child's being traumatized. That kind of trauma is extremely difficult to treat. And I've written two books on psychological trauma. In fact, a lot of my research is on psychological trauma. A lot of my background is working with people with psychological trauma. And again, it's really tough to, to deal with because, as you say, it is buried in the muscles, it is buried in the cells. But the, the wonderful, hopeful phenomenon we find with energy therapies is we can treat them. Uh, as I mentioned earlier in the first segment, that in the Veteran Stress Project, we've done seven randomized controlled trials, and they show that in just six one-hour sessions, those veterans coming in with those severe traumas, like flashbacks and nightmares and all those other symptoms, those, those symptoms just go away after the first few sessions, so they are treatable. But if we don't treat them, they wind up having enormously detrimental effects on our bodies, and the grand study that showed this in the 1990s was the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study, or the ACE study that Kaiser did along with the CDC, and they showed that people with high numbers of 
childhood stressors, developmental trauma in their, their lives, had much higher rates of cancer, heart disease, diabetes, hepatitis, obesity, all kinds of adult ills if they had large amounts of childhood trauma. So we think of it and we call it psychological trauma. It's really physical trauma. It manifests later on as physical disease mm-hmm. unless it's treated. So it, it has these severe effects epigenetically and affects people for a long, long time. The good news is it can be treated, but again, if, if you think that that, that negative thought won't hurt you, if you think, well, if I, I just, just forget about it, if I just be positive, it'll go away. The unfortunate truth is that positive thinking does not cure this. Positive thinking and letting these things fester in your unconscious is not a solution. They actually get worse over time. Most um, kinds of mental health issues like anxiety, depression, if you don't treat them with drugs, they get better over time. But PTSD is, is the one condition that people get worse over time. In one study of, of, of World Trade Center first responders, 5,400 of them, the researchers found that half the cases of PTSD showed up much later, two, three, five, even 10 years later, called delayed onset PTSD. And so uh, just letting it, 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 it ride, unfortunately, does not cure PTSD. You have to actually treat it meaningfully with one of these energy therapies. There is a great deal of fear, you know, planet-wide, and it's used to control the mind. And the military uses it. Government psyops uses it. Individuals and families use it. Um, there's a whole hierarchy of narcissism that we see now globally. When we are in fear, as you pointed out, there's an extreme amount of beta waves. What does that mean? And what are the contrast to, for instance, you know, the gamma or theta brain waves that we experience and what stress does to us? And a whole section on this, because uh, there are several different basic kinds of beta wa- uh, of our brain waves, and the, the highest one, the highest frequency one, is gamma. The slowest one is delta. And so most of the time, if you're in waking consciousness, ordinary awareness, you have a little bit of the slow waves, you have a little bit of alpha, but you're mostly in beta with very little gamma. But when researchers began to hook up spiritual masters, yogis, adepts, in the 1960s, they found that these adepts had very different brain waves from the average person. They also hooked up a lot of healers. They hooked up Pentecostal faith healers. They hooked up Chinese Qigong masters. They, they hooked up Native American shamans. They hooked up Jewish Kabbalistic uh, healers. And they found that wherever their brain waves were in their normal consciousness, when they began healing, a distinct profile emerged in their brain wave frequencies. And so I explain this in Mind to Matter in chapters two and three. It's called the awakened mind. And it's one you can actually reverse engineer. You can actually know how to, what the awakened mind brainwave pattern looks like. And essentially it has lots of alpha. Uh, big, stable alpha is the key. And you can train yourself to acquire alpha with meditation, with various kinds of contemplation, with spiritual practice, with calming yourself, with entering flow states. All of these give you lots and lots of alpha. Now, the cool thing about alpha is when you have lots of alpha, it also tends to produce access to your theta and delta. Delta is the slowest wave, and it's the wave of connection with the universe. People who are mystics, people who are psychics, people who have really extraordinary mental abilities, they tend to have lots and lots of delta. And then healers have lots and lots of theta. But you can only get your theta and, and delta, those two slow frequencies, easily through alpha. 
And in the book, one of my huge epiphanies in writing Minds of Matter was that I realized there was lots, lots of research on how frequencies affect cells. You, so you can pass a frequency through a culture, bone cells or brain cells or nerve cells or skin cells, and see how they, they respond. But what I realized as I was working on Minds of Matter was that there are certain frequencies that affect our cells that we produce with our own brains during meditation. And those frequencies have remarkable effects on healing. They literally stimulate the production of stem cells. So stem cells proliferate when you have lots of theta. They cause the, they trigger the lengthening of telomeres, our anti-aging molecules at the tails of chromosomes. They trigger the growth of new white matter in our brain. They trigger the growth of memory and learning neurons in our synapses and our learning memory centers of the brain. So all of these things are happening and they're happening triggered by these frequencies we generate ourselves in meditation. And that was one of the, the huge big ahas in the book that no one had really written about before, was that, sure, frequencies affect cells, but a lot of the frequencies that affect cells positively, we actually can generate ourselves simply by sitting down, closing our eyes, and doing the very simple free meditation I provide in the book. When you also talk about you know, there's there's global mind, there's universal mind, there's individual yes. mind, there's family mind, there's, you know, epigenetic mind in the sense of inheritance of bloodlines, um, ancestral lineage. But you do, and I was so glad you included it, the, um, the random number generator studies that show uh -huh. that there is coherent mind that we may be unaware of. And I often find that the technologies we are infatuated with, whether it's online or offline or Facebook or, you know, texting, that they are um, uh, an outward manifestation of a universal phenomena that is invisible. Talk to us about this coherence that occurs when many people are focused on the same thing, and let's, let's focus it for good. Yeah, and so one of the big questions I asked myself was, what's the difference between somebody who is an intender and those intentions come true, and somebody who's an intender and those intentions don't come true. Because mm -hmm. many people visualize and, and have, have, use affirmations, use other tools like that. Right. And what they want to see happen doesn't happen. I have one particular friend, and um, I watched her for years, really inspiring person. I have always big dreams and visions. But nothing she ever visualized came true. Then I have friends like Jack Canfield and John Gray and Marion Williamson. And these people, when they have an intention, you can bet there'll be action behind it and things will tend to happen. So what's the difference between a master manifester and somebody who has good intentions and nothing manifests? And the answer turns out to be, and again, that was a really crucial question that science can answer. And the answer turns out to be that they have, the manifestors have coherent brain waves. And I have one example in Chapter 6 of the book. I show the brain waves, brain scan, EEG signature of a person who's not coherent and a person who is side by side. And so the person who's not coherent, their brain waves are all over the place. The person who's coherent, their brains are highly regular and will match each other. So that's the difference between the master manifester and the one who's not. Now, you get a whole bunch of people in a football stadium cheering for the Red Sox or the Yankees, or you get a whole bunch of people in a, in a sports team who are working cohesively together. You get people in an office, a work team, who are working in coherence together, you get uh, any kind of, um, of, of critical mass of people and their incoherence at the same time, they then 
jump to a whole new level of performance. Now they're in group flow, and that's when these random number generators start acting up. They no longer give random numbers. They give regular numbers, or they, 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 they depart from randomness under the influence of group coherence. So we are capable as large groups of literally affecting reality. It's a beautiful affirmation and demonstration of why it's so important that what we repeat, we become, and what we do, we create. So we're going to come back on that. Our guest is Dr. Dawson Church. His book, Mind Matter, The Astonishing Science of How Your Brain Creates Material Reality, a Hay House 2019 release. Learn more at www.dawson, church.com www.mindtomatter.com, and also another website he manages, eftuniverse.com. This is John G. Cruz from the Ryan Research Center in Durham, North Carolina, the oldest operating parapsychology lab in the country. You can learn more at ryan.org. You're listening to Zohara Hieronymus on 21st Century Radio. Welcome back to 21st Century Radio. Remember that all of the links to our guests are at 21stcenturyradio.com and at zoharaonline.com. And our archives are also posted weekly for free on iTunes and on our 21st Century Radio YouTube channel. Dr. Dawson Church is with us, and I want to encourage you to um, appreciate that more than the book we're talking about, he shares how to apply breakthroughs of energy psychology to health and athletic performance through EFT Universe. That's www.eftuniverse.com. So, you know, Dawson, in your book... Mind to Matter, The Astonishing Science of How Your Brain Creates Material Reality, a Hay House 2019 release. You share that when we recall an experience or a talent, and when we practice it, when we rehearse it in our mind, it helps us develop certain skills which then turn into new experiences. So, for instance, if we have seen an angel once, we can see an angel again. Walk us through this. Yeah, and repetition is the key, and also emotion is the key. So in Mind to Matter, I talk a lot about, about emotional contagion and about the power of emotions to affect the world around you. Um, just having a thought about something is not going to move the needle, but having a thought uh, along with a strong emotion about something is what does. There's lots of research showing that it's emotion that makes a difference. And then if you have that emotional intensity over and over and over again, that's when you kick in neurogenesis. Uh, and there's an example in Chapter 1 which I give people to inspire them, because I, again, this, 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 this story, though, is like, if, when I first heard this, I went and looked back at the sources several times. I literally could not believe that this type of neural change was possible. This guy, his name is Graham Phillips, and he's a TV reporter in Australia, has a PhD in astrophysics, and he'd heard about meditation and decided to give it a try. So he took his whole TV crew into a really advanced imaging lab, and they, they taped him getting this whole battery of tests, MRIs, EEGs, and all kinds of physical, physiological tests, and they did that before he began to meditate. Then he began an eight-week mindfulness meditation journey, and then after eight weeks went back into the lab. They measured his brain again, and they used a very high-resolution MRI that can measure the volume of each brain region down to a tiny little point. And they found that different parts of his brain had grown. Some parts had grown by 4% or 3% or 2% in just eight weeks. But the part of the brain that grew the most was a part called the dentate gyrus. And the dentate gyrus is a little 
node, the very center of the brain, which has these tentacles that go out and connect with different parts of the brain, and it regulates emotion throughout the brain. So it's what regulates you being upset, scared, angry, guilty, all of those emotions. It, it, it shuts them down. It helps you calm yourself when you're nervous or stressed. And so the dentate gyrus has a central role in the brain. And so in eight weeks, his dentate gyrus grew by 22.8%. Now, that kind of growth, where it's growing by almost a quarter in just eight weeks, is an example of the astonishing changes we're making in our brain with attention. So when you have a phenomenon, when you see something you like, when you say, for example, a tune to a certain person, when you have a spiritual experience, when you have a deep meditative experience, when you, when you connect with nature, when you do positive things and you have emotion behind them, you feel them, you strongly invest your feelings in them, then you trigger neurogenesis and then your brain begins to remodel itself, not slowly, but rapidly. Another study of meditators, they have these people doing just 12 minutes for eight weeks and after only that short amount of meditation, they found their brains had already began to change. So you are literally changing the hardware of your brain using the software of your mind. That's a lovely way to put it. As you point out, you know, consciousness shifts the way, as you wrote, that the way the brain processes information. And I also like that you mentioned not only the observer effect, and maybe you could speak to that for a second, but that selflessness has a great deal to do with finding these higher stated, higher states of brain waves needed for intense tasks, such as rescuing people or coming up with a solution for you know a problem that the world is challenged by. Yeah, Albert Einstein said that that um, only by acquiring non-ordinary states of consciousness are we able to solve difficult problems. He said that all of the world's great scientific discoveries had come not from working from the left brain, but purely by being in right brain flow states and then being receptive to those solutions. So that is where those solutions come from. So that is where you want to be. When you're in that, that state, in some of the research I have in, in Mind to Matter in Chapter 3, I talk about this research, and it shows that when we're in that flow state, our problem-solving ability and our creativity goes up but not by 5% or 10%. In one study, a decade-long study of peak performers done by the McKinsey Consulting Group, a big global consulting group, 10-year study of peak performers, when they were in that flow state that meditation induces, their productivity went up 500%, fivefold. Another study done by the Defense Research Agency, DARPA, found that when they had people induce that flow state, these meditative states, we're just in the flow, like I think I am right now as I'm talking to you, and hopefully we're inducing flow in, in people around us as they're listening to us as well. But when you're in that flow state, again, with emotions there, beliefs there, you're congruent, you have these co coherent brain waves. In those flow states, this DARPA study found that when they gave people difficult problems, that their problem-solving ability improved by 490%, I mean, almost five-fold increase. So that's why in, at the end of the book, I talk about problems like global warming and overpopulation and limited resources and lack of clean food and water and various cyber threats. I mean, there are all these things that, that, that we as human beings have to solve. There are all these difficult problems we as a human species have to tackle to be successful. And so 
if we are doing those, solving those, trying to solve those problems with our same old brains, our survival-oriented old brains, it's not going to be effective. But if suddenly uh, just a few thousand of us or a few hundred thousand of us have a five-fold increase in productivity, problem-solving ability, creativity, then we have the, 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 the mental ability, the emotional ability, the spiritual ability to solve these problems. So people are very dis- surprised to discover sometimes, I'm not that worried about these problems. They are real, actual problems. But if we jump collectively to this new level of spiritual ability, which I predict we are in the middle of doing, at the end of the book I talk about how now millions of people are entering non-local mind together, and those cohesive states, those states of, of, of cohesion together, when as tribes, huge numbers of people all over the world are meditating. You know, the number of meditators has gone up in the U.S. from about 1% in 1980 to around 4% in, 19, in 2004 to around 14% last year. We're in the middle of this explosion of people entering these deep states seeking enlightenment. And when you have huge numbers of people doing this, they have the, the abilities, extraordinary abilities to change their own brains, which, and I talk about this at the end of, end of Mind and Matter, no species ever in the course of evolution has ever had the ability to change its own brain. And in eight weeks, I mean, we're, we're, in the, we're on the cusp of uh, an era of human flourishing and planetary flourishing like we've never had before. So, so I'm, I'm not just optimistic. I'm wildly optimistic, and I have the data to, <laughs> to prove it. So people say, oh, are you worried about this politician? Are you worried about the election? Are you worried about this uh, stuff? And my answer is, not even a little bit. <laughs> well, and, and the unfortunate thing is how distracting it is. You know, people yes. get distracted, and then they get embroiled in it and lose sight of their own personal power. trajectory exactly yes. and give away their power and so you you speak to this mindfulness and that if everybody in the listening audience were to do a small meditation every morning and i love the way you say you know that whomever you would live with whatever whoever your partner is to speak to them at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day and i like that you say you know touch each other put your arm around each other a couple times of day that there are very small things each of us can do to come into entrainment if you will, yes. with this harmonic, um, what's the right word for it? Well, it's this group uh, flow state. It's this, this state of being coherence as a group, so group coherence. And then there we are. it's contagious as well. I talk in Chapter 2 about right. emotional contagion, about how when you're in that state then, so you are not just in that state yourself, you then affect people around you, not just those right around you, but several layers out. So all those people in the world who are being positive, who are being loving, who are being compassionate, are having a massive effect on the trajectory, not only of their own well-being, but also on, on evolution. And that's where we are really are today. I agree with you. We are on the cusp. And I, I like that you included, Dawson, the impact of created play, creative play, and why artists' yeah. brainwave activity, you know, it's, it's a different kind, as you point out, this right hemisphere um, beauty and beauty is really the center of the tree of life in Kabbalah. And in, in what it means is we integrate both our ability to receive and to emanate. Uh, and mm. 
Mm. You know, when people ask me, well, how do you know when children ask me, how do you know who to be friends with? And I say, well, you can kind of assess, do they give or do they take? And most of us do a little bit of both. But if they take primarily, that's not the kind of person you're going to have um, a productive experience with. And that's from a very classical Kabbalistic perspective that we're all emanators and we're all receivers, but emanating selflessly with love has a profound um, quantum impact, if you will, of of raising our capacity to levels beyond our personal trajectory. Yes, and changes our brains be more loving and more compassionate. And when you look at the research, the detailed research behind meditation, you find that it's compassion that makes all the difference. Mm -hmm. So when you're in that state over and over again, then you're changing your brain, that is changing your life, it's changing your whole social experience, and then the ripples through emotional contagion spread out from you. So you become an agent of positive emotional contagion among everyone you meet, and suddenly that's what starts to change the whole world. And I liked, you know, you're the gentleman, Dr. Joseph Dispinaza, who wrote the introduction to your book. He said, we are not hardwired to be a certain way for the rest of our lives. We are not doomed by our genes. Rather, we're marvels of adaptability and change. We are. And just bear that in mind. So people think, well, I'll act on this tomorrow. Or this is an inspiring talk that, gee, you know, um, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll start meditating this weekend. But the thing to do is hear what we're talking about here on the show and then make that pledge. When I do live, sh- live presentations, I, I people raise their hand. And so wherever you are right now, raise your hand if you will just check out that meditation and commit to using it just 10 minutes every morning. You will find that it will shift your life personally and then again contribute to this kind of global wave that Zoe and I are talking about. So you can make a difference not only just for you personally, but for everyone. I want to thank you, Dawson, for all the work you do in the world and the blessings you enable others to bring to their own lives. Your book is an exquisite addition to the community globally. Mind to Matter, the astonishing science of how your brain creates material reality. You can learn more at www.dawsonchurch.com, the book website, www.mindtomatter.com, another beautiful website, eftuniverse.com. And remember that all our guests and their links are at 21stCenturyRadio.com, ZoharaOnline.com, and they're posted weekly for free on iTunes and on 21st Century Radio YouTube channel. Blessings to you, Dawson, and many beautiful synchronicities in your life. Thank you, and the same back at you. Thank you again. And that's the show. 21st Century Radio is produced by Hieronymus and Company. Our executive producer and research assistant is Laura Cortner. Our engineer is Anita Brockington, and I'm Dr. Zohara Hieronymus.